Hello and welcome back. It is Business of Film episode number 25. My name is Jesse Eichmann and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. This episode, we are with The Asylum. Uh, the partner and CEO, David Michael Latt, joins us on this call. I'm pretty fired up. Just got off the phone with David. He has, uh, A, he's got awesome advice. B, he's produced 200 films. And uh, C, 25 of those were last year. So there's just, uh, well, a ton of good stuff, including his two best pieces of advice, uh, which come at the end of this podcast, which I have to admit are kick-ass pieces of advice for those interested in producing genre films. So without further ado, David Michael Latt, episode number 25 here on The Business of Film. Hope you enjoy this one. It was a fun one. Thank you for coming on the show, David. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I would love it to hear, just before we get into uh, everything that the Asylum does and, and, and about your company, I'd love to hear just sort of how, how did you get into the business of producing, like you personally? Well, I was a call girl in my past life, so... I knew it! Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Um, kind of, there's really not much of a big difference between that and producing. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm a very boring guy, so uh, it, it, I've always wanted to make movies. I, uh, uh, you know, had a Super 8 camera when I was seven, doing short films and and in the backyard with friends, that kind of thing. Mostly porn at that age, but, um, you know, it progressed to, like, a narrative. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just all that I wanted to do, and I have been lucky enough to uh, um, sell drugs to the right people and, um, uh, you know, make this dream a reality. <laughs> it's funny. I'm just, I was just thinking of that movie, How to Make Money Selling Drugs, and yours is a true success story, so that, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, so when did you start the asylum? Obviously, you've, you've got a couple partners uh, with you now, uh, but when you started the asylum, was it just uh, yourself and, or was it you and a couple guys? Well, I'd like to say it's all me, but, uh, you know, I think if there's any lawyers listening, they're going to they easily investigate, uh, and that is not the case. Now, I, I, um, if it was just me, this company would never exist, and uh, we'd be bankrupt within, I think, 25 minutes. I think that's what we kind of did the math on. Um, no, I, uh, I am the recipient of having uh, the luck and the fortune of having some very good partners that are much smarter than I am and know how to make this thing work. Um, I just want to make movies, so... You know, I'm just a, a man-child. Uh, these guys knew what they were doing. So when we first started, uh, I had a partner, uh, uh, Sherry Strain and uh, David Romali. And David and I had been previously making movies, maybe like once every other year. And um, we had day jobs, you know, while we were making these movies. And all three of us kind of got fired at the same time, different jobs, um, during that same month. And, you know, they had very legitimate reasons why, I got, why they got fired. Um, their company was bought out and their division was, uh, you know, uh, dissolved. Mine was, you know, just incompetence, gross incompetence. Um, but, uh, so we, uh, uh, we started, so, you know, so let's just make, do what we want to do, which is make movies. And so we, uh, you know, we opened up a shingle and started the asylum and really didn't know what we were doing except we wanted to make films. Um, and we kind of took every odd job, out there in the production service world, editing trailers to producing low-budget films, line producing, first aid, you know, doing whatever we could, we could, 
And it was really my partner then and my partner now that has been kind of the visionary of the company and pushes the company. And it's kind of, I've, I've always said that he's the Steve Jobs of the company and, uh, you know, find that's very interesting opportunities that um, I could never find, including, you know, uh, deals with television and series and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, as long as I'm still, as long as I'm just, I'm happy making films, he's happy to kind of push the company in ways that uh, uh, are just uh, unbelievable to me. Uh, so uh, um, that's kind of the long and the short of it. Sherry, um, when we started making films uh, once a month and we were making really just genre films, which is kind of what we love anyways as just audience members, she, uh, she kind of said, you know what, I want to make uh, bigger, more important movies. <laughs> so she, uh, uh, she, she left to go and pursue her passions because, you know, this wasn't a big money-making thing. This is, and so if you're not going to make a lot of money and you're going to spend 24 hours a day on something, you might, well, you might as well do something you love to do. So um, she left, and then uh, uh, Dave and I found another partner um, by the name of Paul Bales. He's an old childhood friend of, uh, of David Valley. They grew up together in Michigan. And... Um, you know, they've really kept this dog and pony show running, uh, you know, for a long, <laughs> very long time. So uh, looking at the asylum now, I, I can it's easy to look at the asylum and say, you know, there 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 is a brand here. And uh, I, I want to talk about that certainly in more depth as we, you know, sure. get on into the conversation. But looking at where you are now, um, putting yourself, say, you know, 10 years ago, just, just after you started the company, you started getting rolling. Did you know that that would be like that the brand would evolve in the way that it has, or was there was there a uh, I guess a planned uh, architecture for for the asylum and for the brand that you wanted to have? Yikes, that's a mouthful. You know, it, it's it's hard to answer that with um, in the sense that you know for for us. The good news is, is that we just love to, to make films, all of us. And, you know, from the accountants to, to us, I mean, everyone just has, has an investment in this creative endeavor. So, uh, uh, you know, we just kind of are doing what we love to do. And in the process, we kind of got branded uh, and have a fan base and are known for things. Um, and it was in spite of our best efforts that, uh, <laughs> that this happened, you know, like a Hammer Films or a Corman label or uh, it just, you know, I guess if you live long enough, uh, you, you kind of get these labels and uh, it's very exciting. I mean, it's, but no, we never, we certainly never, we don't have long-term plans, at least we, not in the beginning. It was just really trying to survive. And um, and doing what we love to do, you know, in a business, it's very difficult to uh, to get a footing in. And uh, I think, you know, after Megashark versus Giant Octopus, we had a realization that we're getting to be known as a brand and lean into it, you know. And really, we're very excited by the um, uh, flattered, actually, by. Um, the interest and, you know, people referring, you know, giving us a whole genre onto itself, the Muckbuster, um, which, um, you know, we completely embrace. Uh, it's, you know, we were so vilified early on 
that to have a fan base and a brand that people like is bizarre to us. Um, I think if if you're kind of if you need to analyze it. <laughs> well, is it, well, how would you describe yourself? Like, when if if I were to say, you know, how how do you describe the the asylum, you know, amongst yourselves? You know, we're, it still feels like we're working out of um, uh, David Romero's apartment, which is what we did for four years. You know, we're brown bagging it, um, bringing lunch in, and uh, that we made, and and you know, those struggles in that attitude of just kind of guerrilla, in the very independent filmmakers, um, still kind of persists. So, it it. it, it you know, on, on the real micro level, I mean, we're just trying to survive on a day-by-day basis and trying to make the next film and trying to make things happen. Uh, and then when you look at the macro level, uh, you know, it's it's hard to kind of put into context, you know, the brand that we've created and the fan base that we have that we're enjoying and, and, and appreciate and, you know, where we are in, in the world of film, which is probably not very high in the ladder, but, uh, you know, still we're, we're, we're making those climbs and we don't even kind of, there's no strategy to it. I mean, we're still just kind of uh, figuring it out I so, think, on a day-by-day basis. I, I, I want to I ask you both about the, the, the creative and the financial, but, but let's start with the creative. When, sure. you're, when you're sitting down and you're thinking about what is the next project going to be, and you're looking at, I don't know how many scripts or projects you're, you're, you're taking in, but maybe you can just kind of walk uh, you know, me and our listeners through what is your creative process? Because I don't believe for a minute that there is anything but very specific and well-thought-out plans uh, with respect to the kind of movies that you make, everything from the title of the movie to, you know, will this work to the, you know, the, the production logistics. So I, you know, I, there, there's, there's a lot that I want to ask you, but I'm going to start with, take me through the beginning phases of a project. Well, I think it's going to be no surprise to anyone that knows the asylum films or your listeners that there's really not a lot of creativity in the asylum <laughs> process. Um, and that's um, modest really of you, goes, but I, did, I, I do disagree. Well, no, 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 <laughs> but, but, but I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly, and, and, and you're going to go, oh, it's so simple, uh, because we've made over 200 movies and we've never lost a dime on the movies. They've all made money, and. You know, you go, well, how does that happen? And it really does tie into the financial and the creative. And so then this is how it, it happens. Um, in a real rudimentary, simple level, uh, we make films to order. So when Sci-Fi wants a very specific movie, we make it. When our Japanese buyers want a very specific movie, we make it. We have an end user that's already kind of pre-bought, even though there's no contract, um, what they want us to make. So we go out and make it. So on the creative level, it's, you know, they're already telling us what to make. They want a giant shark biting a, uh, a giant octopus. On the creative level, we go and make that film. We try and make the best film we can. And this is why this kind of drives back to um, uh, what I was talking about, how I would bankrupt this company <laughs> if it was just me, because it's my partner, David Romali, that um, from... The very first film we made outside the asylum was a film called Shorty House Party. And uh, this was made in 91, 92. 
uh, he was working for a distributor um, called Radon, and they were releasing really low-budget, micro-budget, no-name movies, but getting them out there to big companies, big studios. So he was having a conversation with USA Up all night and said, look, you know, if I go make a movie, how much will you pay for no-name? And they said, oh, about $30,000. They said, okay, what are the genres that you want? Well, we want either uh, a beach blanket, uh, a bimbo movie, a sorority movie, a, you know, they give us a list of genres that they would pay $30,000 for with no names. So we went out, he got $30,000, went out, and I directed that film. That was the first film I directed. And we made Sorority House Party. We sold it to USA for $35,000, sold it to Artist View for International, and then ultimately to 20th Century Fox Internationally, and it made a gazillion dollars. And with that money, we were able to make the next film, which we kind of had the same philosophy. He went and found out what people wanted, what our buyers wanted, and then we went and made that film. At the time, it was like a Pulp Fiction thing, uh, because that was a popular film back then. And so we made a thriller called Killers. And then from Killers, we made Killers 2, and then we kept making more and more movies, but really it was based on what the partners wanted. So you look at that and you go, okay, they're making widgets. They're not being creative. They're not making the film. They, you know, that artistic movie. But now as a person who's in charge of physical production and the production side of it, we're tasked with making a very specific movie from our, my partner, the, the buyer, but we're going to try and make the best film that we can. We're going to try and make the most interesting movie that we can, the most entertaining film that we can, the most genre film that we can. And I think that's what people respond to with our movies. They're never boring. They, they hit the ground running. They're, they're a very different structural beast than a studio film. And there's very specific reasons for that as well. And we can get into that. Um, but ultimately it's, it's, uh, we're, we're given our kind of, our instructions from the buyer of what film they want, and then we go and play in the creative sandbox of making that film specifically for them. Do, do you think? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you, just because I want to separate the fact that you're at a place business wise where you've got all those established relationships with the buyers where you can kind of have that back and forth. If you were not starting from scratch today, but if you were, uh, if you were at the, let's just say the more entry level of your career, do you think you could pull off what you're doing now, uh, and still be successful? Or is it only because of the past success that you've had and the relationships with that, that you've, that you've built that you've kind of created this, um, uh, it, it's funny. I just finished. I'm, g- I'm going to use this analogy here, and it's only because I just just finished reading this book, uh, uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos uh, or sorry Bezos uh, documentary, uh, not documentary, the, the Jeff Be- Bezos book. And what his whole plan was about creating a, a, a flywheel. And the more you do, it's kind of like the uh, the more you do, the better you get, the more money you make. Like you know, it's just, you just just kind of create this this circle which creates momentum. Um, and the more momentum you have, the more momentum you get. And, and that's kind of what you've done. But if you were to pull the momentum that you have uh, sort of away and you were to start from scratch, do you think that that business model would still hold right or it still holds right now? Or do you just seem or do you just happen to occupy a very specific place in the marketplace? Well, uh, it's a tough one because. I think that on the fundamental side, 
the same rules apply. I, I, I don't think if you're going to be in this business for a long time, if that's what your goal is, and not just to have the immediate gratification of one film, uh, then you need to investigate and see what the market wants, and you need to see how to make that film and also have a game plan on how to sell that film. That hasn't changed, and I don't think will ever change, you know, ultimately. Now, the players that we were playing with 16, 17 years ago are not the same, it's not the same industry as it is now. And it's, I mean, even five, even three years ago, the industry has changed so insanely <laughs> dramatically. I mean, it's just, our business um, has changed. I mean, we're getting into television series now. We're, you know, we're really trying at best, you know, where we are because uh, if we stay in the space, we will die. Um, it's, um, you know, the the days of making, you know, one film for a particular uh, a buyer for us is over because ultimately they're paying a lot less now because that piece of the pie, that sliver is getting smaller and smaller. Um, and so whereas a company might have paid $100,000, $100,000 for a movie, they're going to pay 20000 So how are you going to make that film and keep the overhead? I mean, we have 34 employees full-time. They have all insurance. They have, P uh, they have pension, health. I mean, the whole nine yards. And that's just the corporate side. So, you know, you got to keep those doors open. We're a cash flow company. Uh, which means that, you know, whatever dollar we make goes right back to the company on a monthly basis. Um, and we have no deep pockets or investors. I mean, it's, it's a struggle to try and make sure that we can maintain what we have. It keeps us very nimble and very focused on the next big thing. Um, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to always hit the next big, big thing, but we have to, as, as a company, be very uh, flexible and change our business ways pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis and to also predict how to go about in the future. So so a person that's just getting into it, a 20-something-year-old is fresh out of school and, and wants to jump into it, they don't have the same concerns that we do because we were looking to create, well, I don't think we were looking to create a studio, but we were looking to create a longevity and a plan to make multiple movies. Um, no, but I, I would say this, though, just because uh, we, we've had some other producers on the show who have also been in the genre game. And just to throw out some numbers there, not necessarily that these would be numbers that your projects are equivalent to, but just as an interesting analogy for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting two genre movies together. There are some successful genre producers or genre producers that are that aren't necessarily as far along in their career as the asylum, but they're producing a movie a year anywhere between that kind of 250 to say 350 range. And they're looking to make back anywhere between, uh, you know, 300 and 450, you know, but like the, the slim, slim margins, but a repeatable model, which is kind of like if I'm extrapolating from what you're saying, similar to what you guys are doing, which is, uh, a, a mar margins that are enough to keep you going, but no one movie is necessarily the you know the, the blockbuster hit. Although that could always happen. And it could always happen. <clears throat> it hasn't happened to us yet, but it, it, it can always happen. You always you know we we don't ever put that in the model. Um, you know we we just work off the margins that we know we, we're going to make, and we don't make the film for more than that. Um, 
you know, and quite frankly, because I have a lot of friends that are filmmakers, and I have a lot of friends that come in, you know, people just come and go, how do you make money in this business? And I'm like, I shrug my shoulders because I have no flipping idea how to do it. Because as a filmmaker, you are so marginalized as far as how you get your, your money back. You have to go through, not only are you just going to get percentage off the uh, expenses of what the distributor's doing, but their expenses, um, you know, you have to pay them, you have to pay a lot of middlemen, sales agents, publicity people, lawyers, et cetera. You just you get so little back. Um, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the asylum and the rarity of the asylum, I mean, this is, it's a, it's a rare thing, but I don't know how anyone else makes money in this business is we control it all. We're a studio. We uh, Not only do we produce the films, but we release the films. There's no middleman. We go direct. We are direct to everybody um, for the most part. So, you know, all those margins stay healthy uh, and allows us to grow and to, uh, you know, become the powerhouse that we are today. But, um, you know, on your own, yeah, I mean, this the, the filmmaker that's making a $300,000 film is hoping to get three fifty. He's hoping to get three fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yes. the reality is... It could be zero. It could be zero, and they could lose it all. And and it's just, a, it's so, no one is paying the big bucks. You know, you can't just turn around and sell it to Lionsgate for a lot of money. Even they're just giving you an MG, a very small MG, and you're not going to see anything else, you know, out of it. I mean, it's not to say that people don't make money in this business, but it, it, it's not easy. Well, you know, let's let's. And uh, I'm I'm going to return back to to models maybe a little bit later on in the conversation. But I, you know, one of the things that is so awesome about what you guys do is the volume. How many films did you produce last year? Uh, I think twenty five or so. Like okay, two, at least two, at least two a month. Okay, so like honestly. How do you do that? Like 25 yeah. films? Like, that's crazy, right? It's crazy. We're, we're definitely one of the higher output uh, companies. But, um, uh, you know, it gets to be, for good or for bad, we, um, you know, the people that I hire, um, we have teams, and, we, and I trust these teams, and they do an, an excellent job making the films we need to make. They keep it in, in budget for the most part and on time, and we, we definitely work off schedules. Uh, you know, we, when we have a street date, that's the street date. It's like a broadcast date. So, you know, we don't budge those dates. We work back from there and just kind of uh, make the schedule work, whether we have one month to complete a film or we have eight months to complete a film. And um, it always keeps everyone on their toes, that's for sure. Are you um, always green like, when you When you say eight months, is that eight months with, you know, no script in hand or eight months yes. with a script in hand? With no script. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Eight months to make a movie, no script. Yeah. David, go. What do you do? Well, that's a lot of time. That you're, If you're talking eight months, that's at least a network show that we're doing, um, or at least has a lot of visual effects, because our normal film is four to six months, so without a script. Um, so in real general terms, uh, we'll have a three, you know, once the script is written, which could take a week up to four weeks, uh, we will then get to pre-production. Pre-production is... Um, three weeks or less. Um, production is usually two weeks to three weeks. And then depending on the complexities of the show on the post side, that's where it takes the most time. So editing could be anywhere from four weeks to eight weeks. And uh, sound could be anywhere from four weeks at the most to about one week. Um, and do you, do you have in, another week. Do you have in-house uh, writers, uh, editors? Is Everyone, all, everybody's in-house? Everyone's in-house. We have uh, we have two facilities. We have a corporate side and we have a production side. 
So um, uh, on the corporate side, I mean, it's kind of a Frankenstein warehousey you know, monster. So even on the corporate side, we have all these edit bays, we have sound bays, we have a theater, we have, you know, the visual effects department. That's that's on the uh, corporate side. In the production side, we have our line producers, our sound stages, um, you know, the makeup, wardrobe, that kind of thing, our, our production bullpens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really the only thing that we're missing um, outside of like a Disneyland is a giant rodent as a mascot. But otherwise, we're pretty much the same without the gross national product uh, of billions of dollars that they make every uh, year. Okay, now, I, I don't know if you're like David Copperfield's, you know, secret warehouse out in Nevada, but but promise me this. When I'm in L.A. next, I'm coming down to this island with, an, with a camera, and we're going to take a, a, a little, you know, peek into your warehouse. Well, we'll have to vet you and, uh, you know, do a background check. I don't and, know about, uh, you know, sec- security clearance, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a problem. I'm Canadian, it's a problem. Oh, Canadian! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 all that that that's the the key. It's all good. You know, out of all the movies we've shot, we've never shot a film in uh, Canada. So there, <laughs> uh, it, which is the most bizarre thing, uh, because everybody else is running up here, and you're but but you've yep. got everything you need right right in your backyard. It's true. However. Los Angeles has made it very clear that they want us to shoot in Los- in, in Canada. So uh, uh, they, no uncertain terms, said, "You know what? We don't really need you guys here. So uh, <laughs> you have fun in Canada." <laughs> All right. So okay. So that's a pretty. Uh, it's it's funny because you know to some people eight months would seem just not you know or even four to six months you know not uh, not even near enough time. But for you, eight months is. A ton of time. Excruciating. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, for me, it's a lot of, you know, look, I mean, you can look at it like a TV model. So, you know, TV models, uh, the workflow is very quick. I mean, you're shooting in a week, you're posting in two weeks to four weeks. I mean, you're, you're doing, I mean, granted, you know, a TV show is half the, the length of, of a feature and you don't have as many effects, et cetera, et cetera. But you definitely have the compressed time. And I think, you know, which makes it really good for us as far as series work goes. Um, we're used to the craziness of the schedule. And these guys, again, they're just, they're really good at what, at what they do. I mean, the, the most, I'd say the, the, the people that have the biggest, like, time crunch issues would be our visual effects team, because they are producing hundreds, I mean, absolutely hundreds and hundreds of shots every single month. And it's just a team of, like, 15 people. And it's, it's insane what they do. And the, the, the quality of their work, I would put it against any $200 million film any day. Yes, there's going to be some that aren't as good as others. I get that. But for the most part, consistently, I mean, I'll put it against any film. You tell me what it is, $200 million or $200,000. And most times you won't be able to tell the difference. Uh, let's, and I don't know how, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out and you can throw it right back at me, but I, I, I have to ask just because I, sure. I think it's, it's germane to the, uh, to the topic at hand, which is, and, and I'm sure there's, there are, there are ranges here, but what are the typical budget levels of one of your projects? So, uh, you know, they'll range anywhere from a quarter million dollars to half a million. Those are the average. Um, 700,000 is, you know, we're kind of getting up there as the average too. I mean, that's kind of like getting, you know, pushing it for the network shows. It'll be anywhere from a million to 2 million. So when we do lifetime animal planet, sci-fi, those are all going to be in that range. Sharknado, I don't even want to talk about because Sharknado 2 is just a, a nightmare of excesses <laughs> as far as how much money we spent. <laughs> um, 
but that's uh, all, all, all due to the union in New York. So God bless them. They made a lot of money. Right. Um, so it doesn't show up on the screen in that way. Uh, it would, you know, it shows up on the screen because we have an insanely talented DP and, uh, um, director, but, uh, um, you know, but the unions uh, did very well in New York. Okay. So, um, casting, do you have problems casting? Yeah. I mean, I've heard from a lot of genre producers that when it comes to casting genre films, it is the biggest pain ever. And so your films, yeah. some of them are, are no names, and, and I'm sure like that's all fine. You know, obviously know what she's there. But on a lot of films, um, I would say more recently, and I'm you know, happy to, to name any one of the 25 films that you've done la- last year, but you know, just for example, you know, one of your, your, your more recent ones, you know, Dean Cain and Robin Givens. Sure, great, but is it hard to get... Are you, do you find the casting I, you, a you know, for you? I don't think Nicole Kidman's going to come knocking at our door anytime soon. But, you know, for every everyone else out there, these are actors that love to work. And, you know, if you can get past the agents and the manager um, and you talk to them directly, they just want to work. And... They, and they don't want to be embarrassed, too. I mean, that, that's, you know, a big part of it as well. You're taking a big risk when you go to a low-budget, no-budget show. Um, you know, I, I'd say the biggest risk-taker is probably Ryan Zering and, and, and uh, Tara Reid as far as on the first Sharknado because it could just completely backfire, and, and it could be an embarrassment. Um, I think with our shows, we're a little bit luckier because there is a history uh, we're going to get the film out there we're going to make a good quality film and they there's a lot of trust in in that regard we also deal with a very consistent casting director gerald webb and gerald has very strong relationships now with all the agents and management they know you know to take his calls and they know that we're going to pay decently not like excess but you know, it's better than staying home and watching a soap opera, um, you know, on TV, although there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so it, it, it's tough, but it's, again, I think the people that make it the biggest issue are the agency managers. And if they don't know you, they just don't want to marginalize their client to work on a film that's going to embarrass them. So, uh, I mean, that's that's... Yeah, I mean, we and we have our problems too. I mean, we, you know, especially because we're trying to up the ante and get a bigger profile. I mean, for this TV series, you know, uh, that we're going through right now, it's um, you know trying to find people that will spend five months um, away from their families and, and do this thing. I mean, and we want you know the quality actors for that as well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's every show is different dynamics and uh, and uh, and challenges, but. Uh, you know, uh, we push it. We try and get the the, the best actors that we can for for these shows. Uh, it's uh, it, it just, it's good to hear, I guess, because you, you you hear it from all from all different sides. And at the end of the day, it, I mean, there's it, it's that trust and being able to to get to them in some in some way, but knowing that you know they're going to be comfortable that the product is going to be what it's going to be and and you guys have that track record it's 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 almost very clear now in many ways i would, I would assume it's it's getting the more you do the easier it gets 
I, kind of. I, I was, I, although, you know, we just did a, a, an action film. It was kind of a female expendable um, called Mercenaries. And, um, you know, it, the cast is just an amazing cast uh, led by Zoe Bell. And, uh, you know, Zoe had her, uh, her issues with doing a film that was low budget. We don't typically do action films at the asylum, so there's, there had to be some trust. And, you know, at the end of the two weeks that she had on this movie, you know, she basically said, okay, I now believe you guys can make an action film in two weeks. And this is kick-ass. This is fantastic. And anytime you want to make a two-week action film again, give me a call. Cool. <laughs> you know? um, because, you know, we also use the same crews as well. I mean, some of these guys have worked on 30, 40, 50, 60 movies um, of ours, you know, and, and they just know the rhythm. They know uh, what we're looking for. They know how to move the, the show along in a real smooth, expeditious way. So, you know, we, we benefit that way as well. Uh, it's amazing. It, honestly, what you guys have built is it, it is truly amazing. Um, and, <laughs> Thank you. And, and mind-boggling and all that, all that good stuff. Um, uh, just because, obviously, Sharknado, I, I need to ask you about. Uh, did you have any idea that it would do what it did in sort of the, the zeitgeist uh, when you were making it? Or was it just one of these things? It's just, you know, it's just law of numbers. Once you do that many, something's bound to sort of... Well, I'll tell you, the, uh, the writer, Thunder um, Levin, he, he basically said, at the time we had made about 165 movies, and he said, uh, you know, you get up to bat 165 times, you're bound to hit a home run. And um, I'm like, okay. A <laughs> uh, little insulting, but I get it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and that's kind of what happened here. Yeah, we've made Sharknado probably two dozen times, you know, in various incarnations with various different creatures with outrageous mashups and, and that kind of thing. So why Sharknado hit and another film didn't, couldn't tell you. Um, you know, that's, they've been analyzing that since it came out, um, like within hours of it. Well, yeah, uh, talk about that so. for, just, for, just, for just a second, because this is actually kind of curious, because I'm sure there was this, you know, this, this social media response. When, when it first went out, I'm assuming that you didn't know until, like, at what point did you know that this was something different? Um, pretty quick, I just didn't know what it was, because... Sci-fi wants us to live tweet, uh, which means that we, are, as the producers or actors are watching the movie, we're tweeting, you know, the experience. Oh, this was a great day to shoot. It was a sunny day, but we had to make it rainy and, you know, just kind of like give them a little trivia, um, little pop-up video trivia stuff um, for those that are interested in that. And I'm sitting there with my iPad watching the movie and my wife's leading me up to me. She goes, why aren't you tweeting anything? You know, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm trying to tweet but every single time I answer somebody, there's 500 more tweets that come in, and I can't answer them anymore. I, I am there's something going on here, and I don't. I, I, and and I took it as I didn't understand Twitter because I'm an old guy, and 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 I'm a luddite when it comes to this computer stuff. So it's you know I just I'm like I'm I must have never understood how Twitter works on the previous times I've live tweeted right. <laughs> because because this is going out of control. And then afterwards, I got a lot of texts from my friends going, did you see did you do that? I can't believe you did this. You know, this is crazy. You know, and then I'm going to send you a link. They're, they're talking about it on, on uh, you know, uh, Deadline. They're talking about it on Press Hill. They're talking about, you know, it's like, okay. So I started going to the internet after this movie, and everyone's talking about it. I mean, everyone's talking about it. And, I mean, I probably was up to like 2 in the morning just looking at all the tweets coming in and all this 
chatter and look, I had no idea what it was going to be, you know, at that point, but I'm like, wow, this was pretty popular. <laughs> that's pretty, I mean, and, that's actually, really, that's really, really cool. I mean, I can just imagine that the next day at, at the office, did everybody just, just come in, just kind of like looking weird eyed, like what the hell just happened or? Well, this, this is how full of, uh, of crap I am with myself and, and how I fool myself, which is uh, there's a local Starbucks in, in my neighborhood, and I'm friends with the baristas there. So I go into the Starbucks, and, um, and, and I went, hey, how's it going? I do this big, like, ta-da! And they looked at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, hey, Sharknado! Everyone's boss Sharknado, right? And they're like, um, is that a show you did? I'm like... No, everyone's talking about it. And and the big joke was up until about three months ago, I've never met anyone that saw Sharknado. And where my partners were like, Yeah, you just mentioned it once and it like gets you free stuff all the time because everyone loves Sharknado and they talk about it. I'm like, I've never met that person. I was having like two months later, um, we went out to dinner with a with a couple and I said, Hey look, I have a DVD I want to give you and he was like, Oh great. I said, It's it's coming, you know, it's it's a film we just you know, actually I said, it, it's not out yet, you're gonna be the first one, but it's coming out in two weeks, but, you know, on D V D, here you go. And I gave it to him, he looked and he went, Sharknado, is that a movie you did? I'm like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Reality check. Back to the grind. Back to the grind. Um it, yeah. <laughs> Well, look, this is this has been really, really awesome. I, I definitely appreciate uh, the you know everything that you've given uh, to to you know to the, to this podcast and, the, and this show um, th- thus far. And I if if I'm gonna if we're gonna leave this show as I like to do on many occasions with people who are are on with us, is ask them for what advice would you have for people who want to be doing genre films. Um, in terms of what, how would how would you tackle, uh, or what what would your advice be to the independent filmmaker that wants to get into the genre film game? Okay, the genre film is very different from a studio film. Okay, that's the first thing. Um, but some of the best studio films are genre films, so it's kind of you know one of those things. I mean, you know, when you're doing a genre film, and you know, and especially at our level, you're competing with the dishwasher, the dog barking, the kids in the background. Whereas if you're making a studio film, you're just sitting in a theater, you're kind of locked in for two hours, it's dark, you're focused, uh, and you can get away with a lot of stuff. So you have to understand it's two different mentalities, unless you're making, of course, a genre film for the studios. But I think what I'm about to say will apply to everything studio-related or, um, you know, at home, you know, in your living room, which is work on your script. Make this the best script you could possibly uh, write. We're going to for a couple of years, make sure that, uh, you know, it's been rewritten and rewritten and you have a nice, as you know, in the film business, you have a three-act structure that you have three great solid acts. The characters are beautiful. You cry at page four. I mean, this is, it's moving. You're already running your Spirit Awards speech and you have this wonderful script. Then take the first two acts and throw them away because a genre script starts on the third act, it starts when the monster's already chasing, when the ticking clock's already happening, when the characters are in trouble, when the hero is in peril, and you are fucked. That's the genre film. So make sure that the opening starts with a bang with the genre that you're doing, and that everyone is screwed up until page 95 or 105. And that's pretty much, if you want to get into the genre business, where you're going to have to be. That is... Uh... 
Actually, David, that is fantastic advice. <laughs> and uh, I'm not actually, and I'm not saying that sarcastically. I, I genuinely mean that. That is fantastic advice. Uh, well, and the reason why I say, well, thank you. And the reason why I say it kind of works for studios as well is that I used to be a reader uh, for a production company before, you know, as an intern in high school and whatnot, and or an agency. And you go home with about 15 scripts. I mean, probably even more now because that was 30 years ago. So, you know, you're going home with a lot of scripts. And if your script doesn't grab you by the nuts on page one to page five, I will tell you right now, I'm going to put that script aside and read the next one. Also, if your script is more than 95 pages, you're not going to be read. You're going to be the last one to read. You're at four o'clock in the morning. You're already like, you know, having the no-dos and, uh, and Red Bull. You are not in the right frame of mind. You're going to read the script because you, your boss says you have to. And if your script is, you know, 150 pages. It's just going to be like something you are, they're going to regret already before they even read page one. So make sure it's a tight 95. That's a, probably a good number to have. So, you know, keep that in mind as well. And, and just in terms of um, uh, any kind of budgetary advice that you might have for people. Don't worry about budget. Let, let, let other people worry about budget. I, I, I will not read a script. Someone says, oh, I saw the asylum and, you know, you know, I know the asylum. You guys are low budget. So I put this all in one room and it has four characters. I'm like, if you've seen the asylum movies, you will know that we've never had a film in one room. We've never had four characters. We have 30 locations and we have 300 people. We are idiots. I get that, but we're not going to even. We, we just we're going to try and make it work at no matter what level of budget, and we're not going to kind of cowtail to the notions that you have to make a low budget film. It's a turnoff for me uh, when I get a script that ha- you know, or someone's talking to me about a script of theirs, and they're going to cater. It's like, no, write a great script. That's all I want. I just want a great script. Nice, David. Thank you. This has been awesome. Well, awesome. Well, great. Thank you very much. Uh, very nice question. <laughs> Even for uh, a Canadian. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Ah, yeah, there you go. All right. Hope you like that. Uh, yeah, that was that was just a ton of fun. I really, really enjoyed talking to David. Yeah, such a cool guy. Uh, clearly self-effacing, modest. But you know what? Uh, you know when you're when you're doing that much product. You have to have a system down, and and they're just they're just pumping it out at an amazing level. Uh, solid business model, solid business platform, um, and just I, I, again, I love the last the last bit of advice. I, I know I mentioned that at the beginning, but when you hear it from him, uh, a guy that's doing it day in day in and day out, I think it just resonates a lot more. So. David, thank you for coming on the show. If you've stuck with us this long, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that one. And uh, just as a, I guess, uh, a favor to the podcast, uh, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, uh, please go out, share it with your friends. That's the way we kind of get the word of this podcast spread. So please go out on all of your various social devices and let people know about the Business of Film podcast, and leave us a comment uh, on uh, crafttruck.com. If you got any uh, thoughts or questions about this podcast or any podcast, head on over to crafttruck.com, uh, Business of Film podcast. Uh, this is episode number 25, and just you know, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, you can drop us a line anytime, and we will answer them for you here on the show. So that's it. Uh, enjoy. We'll We'll be back next week. We got another really awesome podcast lined up for you. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is, though. You're just going to have to come back next week and listen. But uh, I guarantee you, 
you will be stoked about it because I'm stoked about it. And uh, yeah. So, anyways, thanks. Have a great day. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon.